Hey, welcome to Wine Time with the Wine Swine, episode number three. In this episode, I'll be talking to the former business-to-business and wholesale distributor and importer, now online direct retail shop, importer, distributor, wine lover, and Czechia uh, wine fount proselytizer, and a person who has become a friend over time, Sharka Bitka. Um, I have to apologize to Shaka. I was mispronouncing her name in some of the interview and the voiceovers that I did when we um, sat down quite a long time ago. Um, uh, on this day, Sharka and I will get into the history of her company, Vino Factum, which is one of my favorites in Berlin, how there are nearly as many registered winemakers as there are wine-growing hectares in the Czech Republic, so everyone does it. Uh, why it's hard to be satisfied with conventionally made wines, but you wouldn't uh, automatically refuse them offhand, um, and how it's a family hobby, uh, winemaking, and it's a big part of the culture, um, which is part part of why there's like uh, less than 10% of it that ends up getting exported from the country. Um, I will ask her the three questions that I ask all of the interviewers, and then um, we'll get to whatever else comes up. Hope you enjoy. You are listening to a podcast under the La Mission Radio umbrella. You can find us and support us at patreon.com slash join Pablo. That's patreon.com, J-O-I-N-P-A-B-L-O. Early access for patrons, plus special bonus episodes, and a whole lot more as we did not start as a podcast Patreon. Come and see us. Go ahead and press record on the bottom then. Um, tell me when you've done it already. Yep. Ready. All right, cool. Is that loud enough? No. All right, that seems loud enough. Um, hey, how are you doing, Saka? Hi, pretty good, Pablo. How are you good. doing? I'm, I'm very good. Welcome to um, this episode of uh, Wine Time with the Wine Swine. Um, I sent you some questions earlier, uh, the ones that we, we ask every one of the, um, every one of the guests to answer. Um, so we're going to start pretty much with those. Um, I'm going to talk to you a lot more about what you specifically do. And there will have been an intro before this, obviously, that explains who you are. Um, so what does natural wine mean to you? What does the term natural wine even mean? I think as a lot of people in the industry, I don't like the term natural wine that much because there is not a strong definition of it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I'm one of those people. <laughs> exactly. I think natural wine means a lot of people and uh, means different stuff to a lot of people. Um, but the kind of general term is that natural wine is a wine where, which is farm or where the grapes are farmed organically or biodynamically there are no pesticides fungicides or anything else used in the vineyard so the grapes are just pure grapes and nothing added nothing taken mm-hmm. away and the same is then followed in the cellar so another term is low intervention wines where yep. really there is nothing added to the grapes itself no no yeast, no extra um, acidity added. You know, the wine is not being played with. It's just uh, the the great rotten quality, hopefully, really yeah, that you get <laughs> that you get from the vineyard. 
and uh, maybe just a tiny bit of sulfur um, mm -hmm. used before bottling or also throughout the process. But again, there's there's no definition. So some right. say natural wine is wine that has maximum 66 um, milligram of sulfites per liter. Some say that it's less. Some say that it should be completely you know, yeah, without. Of course. Um, but to me personally, natural wine is a wine that yeah is farmed organically or biodynamically, where the winemakers are really trying to improve the health of the land on which they farm and um, are trying to produce the best possible wines without adding any extra unnecessary chemicals to it. So yeah. Yeah, that's pure. a real the important purest one of that, the pure juice. <laughs> that's a really important one that um, a lot of people uh, forget to mention the improvement of the actual uh, land that you and whoever is using it after you will be using and the farming um, philosophies that you mentioned are about uh, taking care of the land in the future as well. Yeah. 100%. You can also have a lot of organic grapes that are being farmed organically and where the, the farmers or the winemakers are doing their best in the vineyard but then still use some some chemicals or some additives and in the cellar. Unfortunately, so, no, the vast <laughs> majority of bio wines that you find in a, in a supermarket or whatever, um, or exactly. even to be honest, in smaller shops, a lot of those bio wines are going to be according to the organic rules of whatever country they were farmed in. But the moment that the, those grapes uh, came off of the vine, it was all bets off. Um, and you don't really have to, I mean, I think, uh, and I hope to do an interview with him at some point. Um, Etienne from, from Jaja has this wonderful graphic that has been on the Jaja website for years uh, that says, you know, conventional wine, bio wine, Demeter, and naked wine, as I think he, he they call it. terms yeah. it, right? And um, and he just has a list of the of the things that are allowed under this uh, in each bottle, and that's ones that he knows of. Because the truth is, we also can't even know all of the things that possibly could be going in there, because a lot of um, winemakers, especially in the conventional industry, they want to keep secret what it is that goes into their wine or how it's done, and they 100%. say it's tra trade secrets. All right, great. And when well, I think very often if people were aware of all the stuff that goes into conventional wine, they would never buy that bottle. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, a lot of people care about the stuff that they eat and they, they want to have their veggies in a bio quality, but then they still buy a conventional wine. If they saw what's all going in there, they would be my, very surprised. My, my mom is like that. And we've had this conversation a lot of times, her and I, and um, she has admitted that it doesn't really make much sense but i think a lot of it has to do with just like a really a public relations thing um wine is thought of very much as this like snooty upturned nose kind of uh only rich people do it um you know it's shorthand actually for asshole sometimes um you know uh i don't know if you remember but they there was a um in the U.S. presidential election, before the 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 sides were, were or the you know running people were chosen during the the preliminary thing, 
um, there was this big thing about one of the potential candidates doing wine uh, seller fundraising parties. And this was a big deal. They said, well, see, this person only cares about rich people, um, which, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest, if that person was doing wine cellar fundraising parties, it's, it is very likely that those people were rich, terrible people. But wine in and of itself and, you know, enjoying wine is is not and should not be um, exclusively the the area of the rich. Um, and uh, and certainly everybody who ca cares about what they're putting in their body should actually buy wine that is done with care <laughs> and not um not stuff that is uh, you know the same as buying cheez-its or i don't know um whatever uh, mayonnaise or something i don't know <laughs> like yeah you know. totally um yeah so well you mentioned a lot of the things that probably come up in this next question which is why natural wine as opposed to conventional wine I think to me personally, there are a lot of reasons. One of them is supporting the winemakers that do what they do with a heart and soul and really try to preserve the land on which they farm for the next generations and improve it. Secondly, it's also about drinking the best that's that's out there. And the same for my clients at Vinofactum. I really want them to discover natural wines and um, discover how how much better these wines are compared to conventional wines because and they're not just healthier but in many cases they also taste better i mean they, a natural wine isn't a guarantee that it's really good but i um i love showing people a natural wine for the first time because they um tend to say something like i've never tasted anything like mm. this because yeah they've basically never tasted wine They've yeah. tasted sugar, mostly, <laughs> and they've tasted, um, you know, some sometimes some additives and uh, and a very little bit of the acidity that is actually in there because the sugar mm. covers it up, and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, and I agree with you that you can have a lot of you can have natural wines that are not great. You can also have a lot of conventional wines that are not great. So just putting or farming wines organically or bi biodynamically and then not using any additives is not a guarantee that the wine is going to turn out great. Of course not. But that's pretty much with every wine. That's even with a conventional one. Even right. if you add a lot of the additives, you can mess it up and in the end have a wine that's, that's not drinkable. Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, I think... Uh one of the things that goes into wine being great is really the the level or the length or the depth of the experience that a winemaker has mm. um and um uh, jan and i talked about this in, during our um interview you don't have very many opportunities to change different parameters as a winemaker because um there is really just one test per year mm. and so um it takes many 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 years to find the exact thing that you want to do or find uh special tips or tricks that are that are for you special or that fit the kind of wine you want to make i think it's also quite 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 difficult to um 
get a wine out that is a wine you intended to get out. Uh, um, it is a, an extremely, extremely skilled winemaker that can take the thing that came out of their field and um, know exactly what they want it to be like at the end and without adding a bunch of uh, lab-grown yeasts and flavoring things actually gets that, uh, that's, that specific thing. To make sure the taste the same every year continuously yeah, well, that, for 20 years. <laughs> that, that, I think, that I think is insane and I don't even understand why that would make sense except for in the uh, context of business. Um, in the context of business where you have yeah, shops or supermarkets that are used to buying the same wine, obviously they want to buy the same to guarantee the same quality for their clients, but it's just a pity that this industry has been ruined so much in, in the last century and now it's yes. slowly being recovered step by step. Yeah. Um, it's exciting uh, to see that more and more people are converting to natural wines and starting to see the benefits. For okay. sure. That's uh, what's making me really happy. Uh, it's really making me happy to see that because you can totally taste the difference. And if you're someone that drinks natural wines only, you can really taste the energy in the wine and you can you can sometimes taste even the energy and, and all the emotions and everything that went into the wine throughout the process yeah, and absolutely. Um, you can really feel the nature which is great on the contrary if you drink um, conventional wines they sometimes feel like dead bodies in the bottle that's <laughs> just a coffin yeah <laughs> And uh, it's yeah, it's, it's a sad comparison, but sometimes it is like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the uh, there's the practical, literal, physical reason that you can taste that liveliness, which is that very often a living wine that has not been sulfided before bottling can still be alive and might actually still be producing carbon gas and um, that little prickliness. That's sometimes the there's no fizziness. bubbles. But you can you can't see bubbles. You can't uh, feel, but you can feel them in your mouth. You can feel this mm. uh, this fizz, this um, uh, chemical reaction. I mean, the yeast is a living thing that's eating up stuff around it. And uh, most people don't like it when I put it this way. But like pooping <laughs> out the alcohol and other <laughs> side products, you know, um, farting out the carbon gas. Uh, <laughs> But also uh, sometimes, you know, you can taste other parts of it that are living too. It's not just yeasts, you know, there is a, a, a genuinely unique um, sort of microbiological climate that is going on uh, in the, the juice while it's uh, fermenting and all kinds of weird little animals and bacteria and stuff are in there and uh, I, I find personally find that really really exciting because um, we have the same thing going on inside of us uh, and if you get a living quite healthy really and, and healthy you know not that alcohol is healthy but a wine that is not super fucked with um, that can actually you know fermented things can be really good uh, with your your gut uh, biome, you can it can actually help you uh, maintain a healthy uh, gut biome that is like it's our our second brain. We have you know the um, second most nerve bundles. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, 
but it is. No, but totally, you know, it's not just it's not just kombucha or other fermented right exactly. products that can um, improve your immunity ferment and, and your health overall. Ferment the world. <laughs> ferment the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a, I had a fermented salami. Um, fermented I mean, salami. Yeah. So this this sounds uh, quite odd, but I mean, most salami is to a certain very small extent actually fermented while it's being dried and hung and whatever but i was in lyon uh, a few years ago and i went to a quite new natural wine shop there run by a really excitable very cool guy and he um had some really really close connections with all, a lot of the um, winemakers around uh lyon all over the region all over the Loire and stuff and um he was like yeah there's this one guy and he also does all these meats but they're really special and i actually kind of don't have the legal permission to be selling them so don't go telling everybody which is why i'm not naming the shop but um here you should try one of these salamis they are special ones he makes it's like a family recipe and it they do the regular thing that he does with a lot of his other salamis, but then he uh, lets them sit in this cave on his uh, property for like a much, much longer time. And they, they definitely got like a very thick, uh, you know, um, bacterial skin. Um, that thing that turns white that's on the outside of the salami, uh, you oh. know, um, in, in like a lot of the, uh, sort of specialty butchers or uh, or like the industrial way or whatever they brush a very specific thing on that but his is just Completely there natural and it's how it's, did they taste it was really 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 good it had a very 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 slight tang uh or well yeah it had a tang but the tang was not um really overwhelming and certainly if it was being eaten with bread or with cheese or with other stuff um it was not the dominant flavor at all it was almost just underneath it making it sort of a deeper flavor and he raised the pigs that he was using as well so um i think for me the more uh dominant flavor in this was um that he fed them like uh, a different combination of corn and nuts and you could taste that more in the in the in the salami in the meat. than you could take the taste the uh, the fermentation. Interesting. It was good. Ferment the world. Now I'm keen to try it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it would be too difficult to find something similar. Um, you know, uh, there's enough um, quite uh, serious meat makers in the the berlin area uh you know uh this is definitely the right country to be <laughs> if you're Early. looking for a salami <laughs> although they won't call it salami um yeah so uh let's move on to the last thing which uh probably will be a longer one which is tell me about your introduction to low intervention or natural or however you want to call it uh wine my introduction to natural wine was quite interesting actually because it came through my parents 
as you probably know, but not many other people know, I grew up in a small village called Kobili in the southeast of the Czech Republic. And my dad is a winemaker. He's always been making wine as a hobby, never as a business or, or for profit. But he learned it from his dad and we have vineyards on our own. And since I was a girl, I was always going to help him out there and also assisting him in the cellar and kind of learning everything from the first hand from him. And my parents and a bunch of their friends have this wine club since probably now 20 years or so. Oh, wow. They were always, cool. yeah, they always meet on like a monthly basis and taste different wines together. All of them are winemakers as well. One of them is actually Jaroslav Osicka, which is quite a oh, well-known wow. yeah. winemaker in the Czech Republic. And uh, once a year, they would always go and visit some other winemakers in other country outside of the Czech Republic as a way to learn and and get new know-how, see how things are being done differently in other countries and really just have that first-hand experience. And it was probably about by now 16 or 15 years ago that they went to Slovenia for their annual wine trip, wine mm shenanigans, -hmm. <laughs> and they visited um, Aleš Kristančić from Movia Wines, mm -hmm. which was back then or still is in the kind of pioneer in natural winemaking in Slovenia. And um, that was the first time that I really learned about how wines can be produced or made in a completely natural way without any additives and really mm -hmm. respecting the land as it is and trying to get the best out of the grapes that you have oh. without using any additives throughout the process. And back then I wasn't really that, I mean, that keen on wine. I was keen on wine, but I was not such a wine connoisseur as I would probably be by now. Um, and that kind of continued that I had a strong influence from my dad and from my family which was a nice introduction to natural wines. And it was only, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago that I really started digging deeper into, mm -hmm. into natural wines and you know what that means um, and started tasting also a lot of wines from different winemakers and started really comparing them to conventional wines. And yeah, then I fell in love. Yeah, it's really <laughs> If I can choose to. right now, <laughs> if I can choose right now that I would, uh, I would only drink natural wines or low intervention wines, if you if we call them that way, yeah. over conventional ones. I'm not uh, a person that would say no to a conventional wine when yeah. being invited to a dinner party or sure. when being at a restaurant and not having any other option. I'm not really that strict about it, but if I can choose myself, I would definitely go for a natural one for sure. I, I'm in the same boat, although uh, I, I will say this, uh, there are a lot of examples of where I'd rather not have a glass of wine than have the <laughs> conventional wine. I'm willing to try any wine, um, but uh, I definitely have been uh, handed something that after tasting it, I was like, I can't, I can't really, I'm sorry, I can't drink this. Yeah, I agree it's, with you. And there I don't, don't have any problem with other people drinking it or thinking it's good. It's just, it's, there's a certain <laughs> point where you, uh, where you um, hit enough uh, training of your of your palate that like um, things like that can can often be aggressive or uncomfortable to drink. Um, I agree, or there's a lot of uh, you know Berlin bars or pubs. If we have like a house red wine or house mm -hmm. white wine, 
the wine that's there, it's going to give you such a horrible headache, even after one glass, oh, yeah. that you're already going to have a shot of vodka. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, it's, 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 I, I used to work for, um, for a, a pretty well-known contemporary art uh, gallery kind of thing. And um, uh, I actually didn't work in anything having to do with wine, but they, for their openings, would always get the same three wines and they wanted to change their wine because they weren't super happy with it but the wine was always from you know um lehman or whatever the the mm. the big chain drink yeah. store and they asked me like do you think you could put together a tasting um and i said absolutely and i can even put together a tasting where you guys could have a white wine and a red wine that is equally the same low budget as the ones you're buying and it would be probably 10 million 15 times, times better, better. <laughs> yeah and it wouldn't it wouldn't be my favorite pick of white wine or red wine but it would be definitely better than what you have um and uh and you know quite a lot a lot more flavor to it and in the end um i was able to bring in a couple wines for one of the bosses and he was not really a fan of wine at all. Uh, and he tasted it and he said, I don't really, I don't really understand why this tastes this way. And I said, well, that's what wine actually tastes like. Um, and then uh, I didn't work there anymore. And so they, I don't think they ever ended up uh, changing their wine, but you know, they're closed because of the pandemic anyway, maybe when they reopen, I, I can go back and, um, and give them some Try to wine. change their wine list. Yeah, I mean, I know everybody who works there, and they and the last time that I stopped by there, they did actually mention it as well. Hey, we still want to change the wine. We should really work that out. Um, good. It's good that you um, brought this up because I was actually going to uh, bring it up myself. Um, you're growing up in and around uh, winemaking, and also how this is a quite. Um, common thing would you say in the Czech Republic I think you told me something earlier about how there's a limited number of wine making uh permission slips I don't know what you would call them <laughs> and then yes. and that there's like way 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 more winemakers than there are available uh um parcels of land and and uh yeah totally it is very common because if you look at Czech Republic as a country or Czechia as we should call ourselves these days um, after changing our international name. If you look at the statistics, you have about 19,000 registered winemakers, which is quite a high number for really only high. about eight, 18,000 hectares of right. <laughs> so if you compare Czech Republic to Spain or France or Italy, you see that the market is a lot more fragmented, that they're there's a high number of very very small producers that would only have like half a hectare or even even less and would be just hobby winemakers producing wine for their family for their and family, friends right? and, yeah. exactly which is what it was back in the days and there's just this strong tradition of you know keeping it alive and passing that skill from one generation to the other which is uh, also the reason why a lot of people kind of grow up surrounded by that so heavily especially in south moravia where i'm from or in the in the wine making towns or villages around here for example in uh, in the village that i'm from there are only 2000 people but mm -hmm. 
about 500 wine cellars in the village. So really? You know, do the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a lovely place to be. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Um, although uh, I do imagine that any of any event that is a town event probably ends in a lot of people uh, not knowing where they are. Uh, with it's not, that it's not as wild flowing <laughs> as you as you think because people no? are quite used to um used to this so they don't drink excessively oh, every day but um yeah we have some wine festivals around here where <laughs> it can get very very interesting with so many wine cellars and so much wine available 500 oh, cellars in a town of 2000 that's extremely yeah. impressive <laughs> But, you know, a lot of these winemakers just learn it from their grandpa or their mm -hmm. father and just kind of do it for for the, for their own consumption or for their friends and family. So the quality in many times is not stunning, but you also mm -hmm. have a lot of winemakers that that are turning these hobbies into actual living and, and businesses. And obviously you, you then need a slightly higher um, scale so at least two hectare three four hectare of land sure. to to really be able to make a living out of it and especially after czech republic became an independent country again we've seen a lot of number of winemakers really flipping this producing wine for quantity towards quality mm -hmm. because when czech republic or back then czechoslovakia was uh, was still part of the soviet union you know, all the, it was about uh, having to produce a certain amount to exactly. be able to write. All the land was basically taken away from the people and was centralized. So it was all about quantity and right. all of the wine was then being distributed across the Soviet Union <laughs> for mm. everyone to have access to some right. wine. And um, that has changed dramatically after the, you know, 1989. And, I mean, you um, saw that also in, in Bulgaria quite a bit, I, I seem oh. to remember, and uh, um, oh, maybe, yeah, same in Ro Romania, in Romania, Romania Bulgaria, yeah. even Croatia and, and all these countries, you know, right. they went through the same path, basically mm -hmm. all post-Soviet post countries, um, or then, you know, Yugoslavia back then, um, right. similar path, really, that uh, the, the, the change from quantity towards uh, quality and some winemakers really I think Bulgaria well is unfortunately an level. exception to that. I think that they've remained on uh, quantity over quality. Exactly, uh, but the Soviets has, didn't have has... anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, Croatia definitely is uh, trying to make some very interesting good wines as well and mm. uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, Czechia and um, uh, I mean Georgia also has this whole tradition as well of um, everybody Romania and Georgia have this tradition of making uh, wine for your family um, but I uh, found it very different especially in Romania um, the stuff that was uh, proffered to me was orange wine, but it wasn't orange wine the way we think of orange wine as mm. a white wine made in a red wine style or, or you know, with a certain amount of skin contact. Yeah. It was very often a extremely sweetened white wine that also had orange soda poured into it. 
No way. At, at, <laughs> yes, uh, they, one of their ways of adding sugar for the fermentation, uh, which you know they also do not need to do because they uh, they are already adding regular sugar, is they also were putting orange soda in it to add more sugar. Orange soda that been had been. Um, flattened like they took you know the bubbles out but they poured it in there and I would they would pour it back in these orange soda bottles uh and I, I tasted <laughs> a couple of those from from friends of mine and they are uh unexperienced shall we say <laughs> hilarious yeah. so you don't see any of that in the Czech Republic at least well, not from the winemakers that I uh, that I've had the chance to encounter and drink wines from but what you see on these small-scale um, winemakers that just do it for a hobby is that typically they yeah they just do it on a very basic level they would probably have old barrels that are you know 10 15 years old and don't really experiment that much they just do it the very mm -hmm. traditional way that they're they're used to they would probably use quite a lot of sulfides throughout the process to stabilize the wines because mm -hmm. that's what they've been taught by their dads and <laughs> and grandpas but never really thought about it but well, when also, you look at the winemakers you know, it, it can be difficult uh sometimes to to um if you don't don't know all of the minutiae to to keep a wine stable yeah, hundred percent. But what do you see with the with the winemakers that really do it um, for profit and make a living out of out of making wines? That their standards are pretty high, and mm -hmm. their their wines, especially whites, but also reds, which obviously are a bit lighter than, for example, wines from south of France or Spain, mm -hmm. because of sure. us being being a bit higher up than than other European countries. But they're winning a lot of competitions internationally as well. Oh. So I think. On, on that level, Czech wines are, are really good and in terms of quality can really compete with, with global market out there. It's just that the quantity that's being exported is so low yeah. that very few people actually know about Czech wines. You know, they think about Czechia as a country that produces beer and is known for it. But mm -hmm. when you say Czech wine, they don't really, there's nothing that comes to their mind. And if it's a generation of I don't know, people of, you know, 50 and above, they would probably still be back in the communist time of okay, right. Czech wine must be oh, just high, yeah, you know, booze that's uh, that's cheap <laughs> and low quality. But um, right. that has changed a lot in the last thirty years. Well, I certainly, uh, I certainly have had the experience that uh, that Czech wines are are really very often quite mind blowing, um, and uh, I. I mean, I know we've discussed this before and that I, in the early time of, of Wild Things, um, was exposed to the Dobrovinica stuff and that actually really impressed me more than a lot of other wines, enough mm. to the point that I actually uh, would seek out other other wines uh, from, from Czechia. And uh, um, now when I, discovered uh your import business that was really quite exciting because most of the stuff that i've been able to get my hands on was actually quite limited because as you say uh the export is um there's not enough of the wine being produced to make the export really be everywhere and it's exactly, really uh, luck of the draw it's only about 
10% or less than 10% it actually goes on export. Wow. And still a huge amount of wine are being imported to the country. So we can't oh, even supply yeah. our own demand. <laughs> what, what gets outside is uh, Even with the 500 uh, sellers in the, <laughs> in the one town. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there seems to be like a very, very strong um, wine culture there. Um, as well, especially in the region that you're from, it seems like that's that's uh, super super strong that people grow up with wine as part of their um, their uh, yeah part of their culture and, and stuff. Yeah, totally. It's also really connected to this whole folklore tradition because you know it used to be tradition two three hundred years ago. Where people would still wear those traditional costumes and would like celebrate the the mm -hmm. harvest and you know drink a lot of wine and and have a big party around that, and that kind of continued even to 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 these times where in the villages around here you would still have this annual folklore celebration where people would still dress up in the traditional costumes and there would be folklore music playing and it's all about wine and dancing and singing and it's um, quite amazing to see that even teenagers are really into that and are really that's you know, cool yeah, like trying to keep the traditions alive kind and of it's just all yeah it's just all interconnected uh, or uh, powered by wine let's put it this right. way <laughs> yeah totally um and it's it's amazing to see that especially if i bring some some friends from abroad here um they're all really amazed by you know where they are right now and what is happening <laughs> yeah we should uh, we should definitely uh, I, I would love to see more things powered by wine um we, we've talked about this before i definitely want to spend uh, some more time um there and potentially should, also learning yeah. learning um some of the actual um both vinification and the uh the growing and taking care of the grapes part of it as well. Um, but I'm also just interested in the sort of tourism aspect because we talked about this before. There's quite a, I mean, you could really go from vineyard to vineyard around the country for like a really long time. And there's so many people who are sort of happy to have you stop by and, um, check out their wines in their places. And then also, I really wanted to have you t talk about this um, special machine run wine dispenser place. Um, <laughs> this is a, quite, quite, a, quite a unique thing that you told me about and showed me pictures of. And uh, I'd really love it if you told the people out listening about <laughs> this weird, wild, awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're talking about is this um, this place in Znoimo. I actually forgot the name right now, but I'll look it up. Um, but there's I'll a place. It's like it a in the info when we figure it out. It's a wine bar in Znoimo, which is a not that huge town, about fifty fifty thousand um, people, I believe, mm -hmm. in the um, Znoimsko wine sub region. So you have South Moravia as the as the wine region, which is four sub regions. And Znoemsko subregion is one of them. Is Znoemo being the city, the kind of capital of that region, being one of them. And uh, there's this great wine bar that they opened, I think last year. It's pretty recent, where they try to showcase the wines of the region, mm -hmm. and 
have a really holistic approach to that. So they wanted to include as many wineries as possible to give a full picture to everyone that comes there. And they install those um, machines that they're, I think they currently have about 150 wines. 150 and you basically, wines. yeah, you, you get a card, you put some credit on it, you get a glass, and then you can go to, to this machine that dispense all the wines depending on how much you want to drink from, I believe, five milliliters to um, two centiliters. So mm -hmm. you just press a button, you tap the car there, it's going to um, give you the amount you want out of the winery that you want. And all those wine bottles are, uh, it's basically sucking the, uh, the oxygen out of it. So they don't oxidate, they can be right. kept half um, empty and they would still be stable and they're, could be open forever. Vacuum. Exactly. They're under vacuum. And it's just such a brilliant idea because you can taste through so many different wines for a really good value. And it just gives a great overview of the whole region. Because if you go to, you know, your average wine bar, even if you want to taste through as many as you want, like you would probably cover know, 10 different samples or 15 different right. samples before being drunk if you don't spit everything out. <laughs> um, and also for the owners, like you, you can't just have so many different open bottles, bottles open, because right. they, would, they would go bad if you keep yeah. them open for two, three, four days. Some wines last even longer, but most of them would just um, not last that long. This so is this is a brilliant idea. The like flights yeah. thing, I think uh, in the US, it's very, very popular these days, uh, especially at the natural wine bars, I think. Um, to have flights which are set five to 10 wines that are pre-picked for you. And so they know that they're going to sell a certain amount of it and they can open these bottles. Um, but yeah, I, I've, uh, I've, I've always uh, kind of um, avoided those because uh, I like to pick, pick my own wines, um, <laughs> even if it is with the help of somebody working there, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, you haven't explained these machines quite quite enough. Um, because what do you uh, want to know about them? <laughs> well, so I mean, uh, the the way you explained it, uh, it's it's multiple spouts, right? Uh, like a whole wall that is sort of, and how many wines per spout? Or can you go to anyone and get any of the hundred and fifty wines? Or you actually can. So you have a full room that's mm -hmm. that's filled with those machines and i don't know exactly how they work i didn't really dig that deep right but the way it looks is that you actually have all the wines there all the bottles so let's say mm -hmm. there are 150 samples or 150 actual bottles right and what the machine does is that it um it kind of pumps the wine directly out of the bottle through that system and dispenses it into your glass right. based on the card system that's there. But how it works exactly, that I don't know. They're obviously all cooled at the right temperature. So, you know, reds would, would have a higher temperature than whites and there are also some rosés in there. Mm -hmm. So you can control it um, the way you want. 
I don't know how it works if the bottle is empty, if there actually has to be someone that, that comes and replaces opens the next bottle and replaces yeah. it, or mm. if the machine is so smart that it can <laughs> open the next bottle and put it back in, I then mean, I don't know. It could be that there's yeah. multiple bottles hooked up at once if they're kept under vacuum. Oh. Um, yeah, the technical but I can aspect look into isn't, it. Isn't, isn't exactly <laughs> what, I, what I was looking for. It was more the description that you actually gave now, which is that you really are in a room filled with these spouts um, and you can go to any one of these and tap it and just say, here's the wine that I want um, and get any wine out of any spout. And that is the thing that I think would be the most interesting to people hearing about this because it is like- It's brilliant. It's yeah. magical. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's heaven for a lot of people that I know. Totally, and I think such a bar could do really well in a lot of capitals because oh yeah, you have people that want to try local wines, or not even local wines, they just want to try a lot of wines mm -hmm. and have the ability to do that at a lower cost instead of you know buying bottles or even going to a bar and, and having a point one glass, you would right. still not be able to cover such a huge um, quantity. So this is fantastic. It's probably quite a big investment to actually put it all. Um, oh, yeah. To I one mean, place. I imagine those those uh, machines. First of all, I, I, I wonder if those machines were a specialty thing made for them or if that is a existing I've company. I've seen them somewhere else. You have. Not, oh, wow. Not used for wine, but I believe that, you know, the technology oh, yeah, has been developed just for them. Oh yeah, you've seen that... those with I don't know soda beverages yes, or totally. whatever else, and it's I... just been converted into a that, cooling that machine. That makes and a lot more dispenser. sense now. So I have a question then: Were there sparklings on offer as well? Um, if I remember well, no. It was, it's, these yeah, were all th still wine. That's what I was wondering because um, in the example of the sodas, the way that they do it is that it's actually the um, the liquid or the syrup is piped together with uh, carbonated water, or yeah. sometimes it's a, a, a plain non-carbonated uh, liquid, and then that is actually goes through a carbonation process before it's coming out. And so I wonder if that would be even possible. Would you be able to do sparkling wine because in my dream if it was my place i certainly i, I think you well know that i would probably you would have, have a lot of pet at least there half for sure. of them would probably be uh, sparkling wines you know um so um i'd like to talk uh i mean if uh, if you could a little bit about um your business we kind of uh, talked around it a little bit but um you have an importing um and sort of B2B, but also now to um, regular customers' um, business of, of Czech wine. And I mean, tell, tell us right. more about it. <laughs> yeah, so I decided to start Vinofactum in at the beginning of last year, actually. So it's a pretty new business mm -hmm. um, after you know, never working in wine, but always having a very strong personal relationship to that. Mm -hmm. um, basically spend most of my working life working for technology companies in, in Asia and in Europe. And somehow I landed in Berlin six years ago where my love for natural wine um, strengthened and, and grew. And you, and you got here at exactly the right time. I think so, because before it was not much happening, but um, I kind of 
I've seen that there are more and more places, gastro places opening up with, with natural wines and that more and more people are starting to um, convert to these kind of wines. And I just thought, okay, how I could bring the great juice that's in the Czech Republic right. to the people in Berlin. And I always wanted to have my own business. I always wanted to have my own company. It was just waiting for the right moment and waiting for the right idea. And um, yeah, then I decided that last year was the right time to do it mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, started being a factum. Probably not the best timing with uh, the global pandemic happening right. or kicking in two months later. That kind of changed my plans. But the the goal is still the same to really bring the best of natural and low intervention wines from the Czech Republic to to Berlin and to Germany. Did you at least and, get that little uh, bump of everybody suddenly spending five times as much on wine? Uh, I did, uh, once, but once, the, uh... the plan has changed completely. So my plan right. was to distribute these wines primarily to the gastronomic scenes, restaurants, mm -hmm. bars, and also offer these wines to companies under personalized labels. So ah. have the, have the full, you know, custom, custom um, label on a wine to make it more personal for mm -hmm. your for your team or your employees, your business partners, or even go one step further and enable people to actually come over for a harvest and pick the grapes themselves mm -hmm. and be able to make their own wine out of it. And this right. idea actually sparkled when me and my husband decided to make our own wine at my um, dad's winery. So we did our own kiver that we called Shiva because I'm called Charka and he's called Ivo. So Shiva mm -hmm. is the first two mm -hmm. uh, letters in our names. And as we were sitting in our Berlin apartment and sticking the labels on the bottles of wine that we made, my husband had this brilliant idea of, hey, why don't you turn this into a business? And so that's basically how, how Vino Factum started, but I still never had the chance to, um, to reach that initial goal of basically <laughs> enabling these experiences to people right. because of, of the global pandemic happening and, and multiple other factors. But um, yeah, that completely changed my plan, but luckily people are still at home, they need their wine, <laughs> and <laughs> that's what can keep our spirits up. So uh, thanks to the launch of an online shop, I was able to power through this uh, this strange year, and this year is already looking much better. I mean, restaurants are, or I believe, will slowly start waking up from from this uh, pandemic wave, and life will hopefully go Fing back to normal towards the end of this year. Uh, yeah, so it hasn't been the well easy seen. start, but um, I really believe that things will get much, much better. And mm -hmm. the goal stays the same: really bring the best of of Czech Republic to. Um, what's What's been the What's been the response uh, to a, a lot of these wines that, I mean, as far as I know, um, have not really been available at all in in Germany before. Uh, really, that's right. So, for. 95% of the wines that I have, I'm the exclusive distributor mm -hmm. and the response has been really positive. Actually, a lot of people have never tasted Czech wine before and mm -hmm. after tasting them, uh, they, they were really impressed and, and really liked the wines. They were surprised by the quality and um, also many times by the complexity of the wines because they would expect really light and easy drinking wines coming out of the country. And while you can find a lot of those, you can look at you know, Gruner Berlina or Miller Thurgau as the mm -hmm. most planted grape varieties in the country as these are pretty light wines, but you can also find some really complex um, 
whites and reds that are great for aging that can really surprise um, even the, the most advanced sommeliers, I would say. So no, the, the feedback has been really positive, both from, from end customers to, uh, to the gastro scene. I'm just really keen to see where Vinofactum can go in the next couple of years and how yeah. I can continue being that passionate ambassador of the country. Yeah. <laughs> certainly, you Converting certainly are. more people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to help you out for sure. Um, you Thank know, you. Of, of the essays that, uh, that have been written for the wine section of my Patreon, I think three of them have been concerned already with Czech wine, so. <laughs> Thanks for that. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it. hey, it's actually just because this is this this is stuff that I that I quite like and I'm quite impressed by. Um, speaking of like uh, complex, aging, very good, deep, uh, interesting wines. Um, I got some wine from you for my birthday, the the Hibernal, the orange wine, mm -hmm. and that was the hit for uh for the, the the two friends who were actually here not on my zoom birthday um awesome yeah they they both were all, as well very very uh impressed and were like oh my god wow this is so good <laughs> they were like what what is this flavor and i was like well it's i mean kind of a combination of a bunch of things there's a whole bunch of flavors in there there's some orange yeah. peel there's uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a really, really, tea. really high quality. Yeah, it's a really high quality wine. It has a, has a lot to it. Um, I'll be actually seeing the winemaker next week, so I'll be happy to share the feedback oh, with great. him. I think he'll be pleased. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm going to definitely get some more bottles of that as well. Um, are there any other favorites that you have of stuff that you've been uh, you've been selling lately, or um, stuff that you can tell people about? Um, there are a lot of favorites. It very much depends on the mood. Mm -hmm. you know, back in the days, I used to be a red wine drinker and I would only drink heavy reds, but I kind of grew out of that. And now it's more about... Same. <laughs> I think that's actually the story of many, many uh, yeah. natural wine drinkers. <laughs> now I appreciate every wine depending on the occasion. Well, let's say, let's say um, give me something for um, an outside lunchtime fun. Uh, give me something that is uh, absolutely uh, vital to have with food and give me something that is the wild thing that you want to impress uh, somebody with. Interesting. Nice telling. So for the first one, lunchtime, funny time in the sun, I would definitely go with one of the pet nuts from Herzanovi. Mm -hmm. Herzanovi Winery is a small family winery with about four hectare that's led by a pretty young winemaker in his early 30s mm -hmm. and uh, they released the new, new vintage of pet nuts already 2020 vintage so they're mm -hmm. all pretty fresh just uh just got to get to the market and i would go for the um, rosé pet nut that is uh, this really juicy um super super delicious lots of fruits rhubarb it's just uh, yeah very very um, funny wine to drink Fun, <laughs> great great in the be. sun yeah yeah exactly um for something to definitely not miss out when having a good um good dinner or lunch or a great gastro wine would be pretty much any wine from Yaroslav Osichka because mm -hmm. he, his wines are fantastic and 
typically have slightly higher acidity that, that gives the wines the stability that they need for aging. And his, his whites are known for having fantastic ability to age, but also for being great gastro wines. They're listed to in- stand uh, up to the, to the food. Exactly, especially if you have some fatty food, like the the higher acidity in the wines is just yeah. gonna cut through it and, and it's gonna match it perfectly. Totally. So I would go for his uh, Pinot Gris, either 2018 or 2017 vintage. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's awesome. It's not super complex, so it's not gonna be stronger than the wine and compete with it, but it's just gonna nicely blend with it. And nice. lastly, um, what was the last one that you said? Is, uh, <laughs> the last something, occasion. Something crazy and wild something, to impress somebody. Something with. crazy and wild. The probably the craziest and wildest wine in my portfolio at the moment would be the orange Gewürztraminer from uh, Marada Winery. Oh, I, I really like that one. Yeah, it's 2018 vintage, and um, it is a wine that's probably not for everyone, but I personally really love it. It uh, it has a lot of rose on the nose, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really complex orange wine with a little bit of volatile acidity. That's why I'm saying that it's probably not for everyone. Yeah, it's a really nice and complex orange that uh, some people can just finish the whole bottle by themselves, and I, some I people was, would only have one glass. And I say, was no, very surprised at how. Um mild it was in a way actually uh when, mm. when 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 i first tried it um not in that there aren't a lot of things going on but that um uh especially in orange gewurztraminer you obviously kind of expect there to be some element of almost heaviness to it like the tannin might mm. be a little bit present or the Gewurz being a, a grape that a lot of people are kind of um, hesitant with because it can be um, very forward and very sugary to some people. Um, so I expected it to be really kind of muscly and, and, and uh, have some of that aggression. And it wasn't, it was actually like really kind of uh, quite, quite well, balanced and and mild as i said i um but still you i i agree it is a, a sort of a surprising one to impress somebody uh, yeah probably on a scale from one to three yeah sorry yeah. for every on a scale from one to three and three being the craziest one i would say this is yeah, like two and a half to three. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not a wine to bring to your grandma for a for a lunch. <laughs> ah, I'm trying to train my grandmas to like this kind of wine. Uh, last time Good I was you. in San Francisco, I, uh, I I made my grandma have some of this kind of wine. So. And did she like it? Um, she uh, hasn't really drank very much wine in her life at all. Uh, she's not really super uh, much of a drinker, but she was kind of excited by it. Oh, this is this is something I've never had before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had the opportunity to give her a piquette uh, that was a rosé piquette that did not look like a rosé at all because it was like an electric magenta, almost purple. Um, 
which is really surprising to me considering that, you know, a piquette is using this must that has already been used and has so much water added to it. I would never expect it to be that vibrant of a color. But yeah, it was. And it was also one of my highlights. Uh, Actually, I guess this wasn't last year. I guess this must have been uh, 2019, uh, early 2019. Um, And uh, yeah. Really, really, that that was her favorite. That was also my favorite, and uh, and my mother's favorite um, <laughs> from that from that lunch of wines. Um, great. Uh, I think I'm gonna wrap it up here. Is there anything else that you want to tell me about, or anything that you um, a, a place to to reach you, or vinofactum.de is your is your website, right? Vinofactum.wine. Dot wine, okay, yeah. even better. <laughs> so vinofactum.wine is the website. You can also find my contact details there. If you want to share them, feel free. But um, otherwise, yeah, there are a lot of wines to to discover. And if there's anyone interested in learning more, they can always reach me and just give me a call. I'll be happy to share awesome. and give any recommendations. Great. Thanks so much for doing this, Saka. Likewise. Thanks so much for your time, Pamela. Hey, it's, been, it's been fun for me. Civilization and society rests on morals. Morals rest on religion. Religion rests on the Bible and faith. For me to Popan! You are listening to a podcast under the La Mission Radio Umbrella. You can find us and support us at patreon.com slash join Pablo. That's patreon.com, J-O-I-N-P-A-B-L-O. Early access for patrons, plus special bonus episodes, and a whole lot more as we did not start as a podcast Patreon. Come and see us.